Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 33 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by TabEase.com, the best Delta 8 edible on the market. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and today is Sunday, October 24th. The 4 o'clock games just ended. The Sunday night football game's about to start, which means my Raiders won and are now 5-2 and two and sitting at really close to the top of the AFC. I think they're going to be like the second seed if the playoffs were to start today. But regardless, man, I'm excited. This is an awesome time. The Buccaneers won, which means that Hayden should be happy. The Steelers had a bye, and they're 3-3, three and three, so Casey's doing all right. Only problem is, it's just Wally in here tonight. It's a solo show. Hayden actually just finished up his football season. His family was over. They were making food. I think they were probably just having a relaxing night, so we were letting him off. And then Casey, congrats to him. His team actually just secured a playoff position, and they're having, I believe, player and team meetings right now in preparation of their matchup this next week. I'm pretty excited to hopefully get out there. I know Hayden is too, so good luck to you, Casey. Fired up for you. But we had a great college football slate this weekend. One, I guess we didn't expect to be that great. Illinois stole the show, which we'll talk about more when we get to the recap of that game. But just an overall crazy little weekend here, and it's setting up. I think that game day is going to actually be up in East Lansing next week for that top 10 Michigan versus Michigan State battle. That'll be awesome to see. But what do you guys say? I just jump right in there. Since it is just me, we'll keep this nice, short, and sweet for not only you, but for me as well, so we can watch that Sunday night game. So without further ado, here we go. Both the Michigan and Northwestern and Penn State-Illinois game was 10-7 at half. Now, if you watched at either of these games, you would have a very obvious feeling on which team should have had a bad feeling going into the second half. And we found out real quick on Saturday who it should be. But we'll start with that Michigan and Northwestern matchup. I mentioned this was 10-7 and a half, but what that doesn't show you is that that seven points for Northwestern was right after a 75-yard touchdown run from Evan Hall, who had five carries for six yards the remainder of the game. And Michigan turned the ball over inside the five at the end of the first half to make that look closer than it was. Now, I understand that in years past, this Michigan football team, this program, would have almost found ways to keep that game close and to let Northwestern feel like they have a shot to win. That really didn't happen on Saturday. They came out and took care of business in the second half, and that's why I think this Michigan team is not like teams that we've seen, at least in recent history. This Michigan football team, they're not really taking prisoners. They're handling their business, and I think that there's a bigger picture at large here that they're really trying to focus for. And you can't really say that for Michigan the last few years. I felt like it was a program that kind of was directionless. They had all these gimmicks, like the revenge tour and stuff like that. That's great in theory for a season, but that's not a culture-changing atmosphere. It was more of just that individual season approach. This feels like a culture move. This feels like what they're trying to turn Michigan football into. So even if Ohio State beats up on Michigan here in about a month's time, I don't see that the progress Michigan is making this year is going to be undone like we would have seen in other situations in the past. That's awesome. But I guess to this game specifically here, I know that J.J. McCarthy didn't get the play, and I know that Michigan really didn't throw the ball that well. I know Cade McNamara was 20 of 27, a buck 29, no touchdowns, no interceptions, which leads you to that question that Hayden and I were kind of pondering earlier this week. 
could we see J.J. McCarthy in a starting role in the regular season this year? It's going to be tough. I think it would almost, at this point, take an injury from Cade McNamara. And clearly, nobody's rooting for an injury. That's not what we're trying to say at all. But I just think that at a position that they are now, what, 7-0, I believe. Yeah, 7-0. You can't go away from what got you here. This team clearly is playing with a lot of confidence right now. If you wanted it to be J.J. McCarthy, it should have happened a few weeks ago. It shouldn't be happening this late into the year. And we're also getting way ahead of ourselves that this was ever even a question. This was a question posed by Casey here. I don't think Jim Harbaugh has really alluded to any kind of speculation that their quarterback position might at any point be up in the air. So I think that we can put that to bed for right now. But this rush attack, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, they combined for over 40 carries and over 225 yards again, four touchdowns between them. This backfield is probably the best in America collectively with multiple backs. This rush attack, that offensive line, they just bully people, maulers up front. In Northwestern, I, I mean, where it's more of the same. Ryan Holinsky, 14 of 29, buck 14 in, a, in an interception. And realistically, outside that 75-yard touchdown run, Man, this team didn't have 30 to 40 yards rushing beyond that. This Northwestern team is dead in the water. Hopefully for Pat Fitzgerald, they can get things kind of straightened out next year. Because looking at this stretch down the end of the year, they need at least two wins to become bowl eligible. Home against Minnesota, home against Iowa, at Wisconsin, home against Purdue, at Illinois. Best case scenario, there's two wins in there. You could realistically look at it and say that there is a world that Northwestern has won their final game of the year already against Rutgers last week. Probably the worst season for Pat Fitzgerald in probably a decade, maybe a little more. I think it's just that. It's a one-year blip. If you're a Northwestern fan, do the men in black thing. Put that light up to your eyes. Eliminate this year. Enjoy your Saturdays the next few weeks because this season's over. I was mentioning it earlier about how this 10-7 game felt a lot different than the Penn State 10-7 game at half. And we'll go into that right now, where Michigan came out and dominated in the second half, not to let a lesser opponent feel like they had a shot in this game. Penn State did very much the opposite here. Number 7 Penn State hosted Illinois and lost in 9 overtimes. And I say overtimes, there really should be air quotes around that. It's not like the olden days of old overtime. This is the new era where after two overtimes in the traditional sense, we go to basically a two-point conversion shootout. And that happened on Saturday. And in the nine overtimes, Penn State got eight points total. I mean, what do you say to that? I know we had the over-under in this game. I'm pretty sure Hayden and I both bet on the under. And miraculously, we hit. How many situations can you think of where there's a nine-overtime environment in an under-hit? Luckily, this is a Big Ten football podcast, and the Big Ten just so happened to happen in this case. Because, wow, Penn State, man, this is brutal. We'll start with Illinois. you got to give so much credit. We joke about the, hey, say something nice about Illinois. There's a lot of nice things I can say about Illinois after this game. Chase Brown took over. 
33 rushes, 223 yards, and a touchdown. And not to mention this, I kind of in the buildup to this show was talking about how Illinois' defense has kind of been, I feel like just assumed bad because it's Illinois and you look at their record. Brett Bielema's kind of imposed a little bit of his own personality on this team so far. This defense gave up only 227 yards in this entire game, and that includes the overtimes against Penn State. They outgained them by over 150 yards. And then here's the craziest part about all this. Illinois lost the turnover battle 3 to nothing, And win in a happy valley? This is a death sentence for Penn State. Their playoff hopes, gone. I know a lot of people out there were like, oh, dude, this team wasn't a playoff team to begin with. You know, I hear you, but this year there's going to be a few teams that make the playoffs that aren't playoff teams, at least in a traditional sense. Penn State's playoff hopes are dead. This is a bummer going into that Ohio State matchup on Halloween weekend. That really could have been top 10 showdown there. And I mentioned that Michigan State, it looks like, has college game day coming to town. It looks like it could have been Ohio State-Penn State next week had that Penn State loss not occurred. It did. Credit to Illinois. Now, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of an outside chance that they can make a bowl. I didn't think that was remotely possible even a few weeks ago. They'd have to go 3-1 and one down the stretch. So, I want to be clear. I don't think it's happening. In fact, you look at the schedule, it, it probably is easier just to say it won't happen. But they host Rutgers next week. Rutgers has fallen off a cliff since that loss to Michigan. Just humor me. Let's say Illinois wins this game. They're 4-5. and five. They go to Minnesota. Minnesota is so hot and cold. And if Illinois goes in and treats this like the must-win it is, for a bowl at least, potentially. They could potentially scare Minnesota. And if they do... You're looking at a 5-5 five and five team going to Iowa. You'd assume that's a loss. Iowa's going to be able to stop Chase Brown, stop that rush attack, and Illinois is not going to be able to throw it. I mean, Arter Sikowski broke his arm. I get it. He's not going to play probably for the rest of the regular season, but he had 38 yards passing this last week against Penn State in a win. And that includes going all the way. I think he broke his arm in the fourth overtime before Brandon Peters, the opening day starter this year, came in. And he eventually did complete that ball for the two-point conversion, which is why if you look in the box score, he doesn't show up. But that really doesn't change much for this offense. They're going to struggle throwing the ball. I was going to beat them. I got sidetracked there. This is going to happen a lot on a solo episode of Wally. And most of you out there probably know who I am. I'm a train wreck as an individual with my mind as it is. So this is going to be a journey for you. So <laughs> bear with me. So we're saying they lost to Iowa. They're 5-6 and six in this scenario before hosting Northwestern to end the year. Northwestern's bad enough, and we just talked about them in the Michigan game. Northwestern's bad enough. I can see Illinois stealing this game. And if they end up going 6-6 six and six and are bowl eligible after the start they had to the season, 2-5, and five, Brett Beal must got to be some kind of fired up. If I'm an Illinois fan, I'm fired up. I'm in Champagne. I'm fired up. We might have to be saying a lot more nice things about Illinois in the future. But let's not take away from how much of a disaster this is for Penn State. I want to flip over there. I just wanted to give due credit to Illinois because sometimes I feel like we do struggle to do that. Penn State, 
more of the same. They cannot run the ball. You got into this situation with overtime, and I don't want to talk too much about the new overtime rules because I know that Casey and Hayden are opposed to me. So I don't want to make it sound like the podcast as a whole has my opinions on it, but I hate the new overtime system. I think it's a terrible rule. It's like going in basketball. Imagine after the first overtime, let's just make it a three-point contest. Or for hockey, one of my least favorite things about the regular season, and I'm a diehard NHL fan, as many of you probably know, they go to three-on-three in overtime in the regular season now, and then they have a shootout right after. What do neither of those things do in the postseason? They don't happen. That's at least the only benefit I can find for the NHL. Because then in the postseason, it is just a continuous overtime until we have a winner. Baseball, they have in the regular season, runner on second right now. This is a new-ish rule too. Runner on second, as soon as extra innings start to try to shorten games. All this felt like it was to me for college football is an overreaction to that LSU-Texas A&M game a few years ago. If that game doesn't go seven overtimes or whatever, we're back to normal. I understand the whole argument. You don't want kids to be overextending themselves. They shouldn't have to play a million minutes. They shouldn't have to play four and a half hour games. All right, that's fine. You're right. Then go to regular NFL overtime. I'd rather that than have this two point. Think about the idea of a national championship game getting determined by a two point conversion off. That would be sickening. I'd be so disgusted as a fan. And at that point, you kind of rob the fan of who the better team truly is. There's not to say Illinois didn't deserve to win this game, because frankly, they did. But I hate the idea that you kind of institute this play to decide a game that you don't see throughout the regular duration of a game. Going back to the player safety thing, if we're worried that much about these players taking these extra hits and all that, then why are we scheduling 15 and 16 games for college football now? 20 years ago, we were lucky to see 12 or 13 games in our season for college football teams. Now we're seeing up to 15 and 16 games. And But tell me about player safety? You're telling me that overtime has to do with player safety? That's weak. That's weak. But anyways, back to the Penn State team. We have been harping, and I mean harping, about the lack of rush attack for this team and how at some point it was going to come back and bite them in the ass. Well, it bit and it bit hard on Saturday. Noah Kane still has that starting job. He had 11 carries to Lee's seven. But again, I mean, nobody on this team going all the way down until you get to their third running back, John Lovett, averaged more than four yards a carry. This is Illinois. I don't care how good I just said or how improved that defense is. It is unacceptable. You are Penn State. You are known for your running backs. You are known for your running game. And we're out here racking up 60-ish yards rushing in this game because of the whole sacks go as rushing yards in in college football, which still doesn't make too much sense to me. We're looking at 62 rushing yards to 357 for Illinois. They just got out, man. They got out bullied by an Illinois football team you would imagine is looking for an excuse to quit. 
Sean Clifford, now you have to wonder if he should have played on Saturday. He was 19 of 34 for 165 and a touchdown. I mean, I guess he didn't make any egregious mistakes, but he definitely wasn't himself. He didn't look good. And now you're expecting this guy, who is apparently really banged up, to turn around and go to Columbus and somehow knock off Ohio State, who, by the way, looks like the Ohio State that we know. The Ohio State we're used to. The Ohio State that might actually be a national championship threat. I don't know how it's going to happen. I think that Hayden texted earlier and said that the line was something like 15, I want to say. 15. Might have been 14. God, if Penn State won that game the way they were supposed to, that could have been a really easy bet for Ohio State people. Because this has been a trend for Penn State all year. They've been responsible with the ball on offense, but they haven't wowed anybody. If you can make Sean Clifford uncomfortable, force him to a couple bad throws on third down, you're going to beat this team because they're not going to be able to run on you. It doesn't matter who lines up on the other side, you're not going to run on them. I'm nervous about this Penn State team down the stretch. Because all of a sudden, this Penn State team that looked poised to make the playoffs a few weeks ago, dominated Iowa in the first half, felt like... I mean, they were a fourth team in the country for a reason. There were those moments that you really thought that this team could take those next steps and be a threat nationally. Well, since then, Iowa came out in the second half, outscored Penn State 13-3, to won that game. Okay, throw it out. You're Penn State. You come back. Everything in front of you, your goals are still there. If the goal is to win a national championship, it's still there. You have to run the table, though. And what do you do? You come out flat against Illinois. You lose at home to Illinois. And then you turn around and you go to Ohio State. You go to Columbus. Man, that's tough. You still have Michigan and you still have Michigan State on the schedule. It's crazy. It is crazy to say out loud. But there's a real chance that this Penn State team started the year 5-0, and got to top five, and could go 2-5 and five down the stretch. Let's go pessimistic just looking at this. Let's say they lose to Ohio State next week, so that would put them all of a sudden at 5-3. and three. They go to Maryland, who's lost. They're so lost. They'll beat them 6-3. and three. Then you host Michigan. It's that student whiteout, which is a glorified second whiteout. You'd imagine that the non-students are going to be all in white, too. It'll be a tough environment. Penn State very well could win that game, but I'm taking Michigan. And if you take Michigan there, they're all of a sudden six and four. They play Rutgers, they'll beat Rutgers. So they're seven and four. But then you go to East Lansing to play Michigan State. And both of those offenses have their own problems, have their own question marks. There's a real chance that Penn State ends this season seven and five. That's crazy. That's a lot of talking about them. We'll go now into what was the most hyped up game of the weekend. Didn't turn out to the most, I guess, significant having being the one we just talked about. But Hayden's super bet versus my Wally's winners. Super bet came out on top, and it came out on top pretty easily. Wisconsin goes into Purdue. Purdue was ranked. You had to feel excited. You were happy for Purdue. Had a real opportunity to really put a stamp on the Big Ten and say, hey, we're here and have a chance to win the Big Ten West. Didn't happen. Wisconsin won this game 30-13. to It was 13-13 at half, but Wisconsin's defense and their offensive line just completely took over this game in the second half. 
Purdue didn't have an answer for this run game. There was that one drive when it was 13-13 midway through the third quarter. Purdue had moved the ball 30-40 yards on their previous drive. I thought maybe we could get something going there. They punt the ball. Wisconsin has it inside their own 10. Three plays later, three runs later, and it's 20-13. This is the Wisconsin team that I feel like many of us are used to seeing. And I think that it was probably a smart call on Paul Chris' part. They have completely said, hey, we're not even going to put the ball in your hands right now, Graham Mertz. We're going to line up and run the ball. You're going to know we're going to line up and run the ball. Every person in America knew they were going to line up and run the ball. And we're still not going to let you stop us. Purdue had the second-ranked defense going into this week. Great defense. I really, really like it. They got outmanned. Wisconsin dominated in the second half. Credit to you, Hayden. I'm sure you'll be talking a little bit of shit when you get back here. But Wisconsin now has their own chance in their own right to run their schedule down the backstretch. They play Iowa next week at Camp Randall. That's awesome. This First of all, this college football slate on Saturday for the Big Ten fans, it couldn't be any better. Wisconsin's actually favored in that game too. It's back-to-back weeks. They're going to be favored as an unranked team going up against a ranked team, and this time a top 10 opponent. Then they play at Rutgers, home against Northwestern, home against Nebraska, at Minnesota. There is a very, very real situation that we are looking at Wisconsin being the Big Ten West representative again. If they run the table, it is theirs. And right now, I I mean, I would have a hard time picking just off of those teams to be the one to beat this rush attack, to beat this defense. I've been saying all year that I think that this Wisconsin defense might be the best in the entire conference. The only problem is, is that a lot of times you get, I feel like, forgotten about when you're on teams like this, where both Wisconsin and Nebraska, I would argue, have top three defenses in this league. And you're not really given the respect I feel like they deserve because of their overall record, because of the ineptitude on their offense. If Wisconsin beats Iowa this weekend, look out, because the Wisconsin Badgers have re-embraced the Wisconsin Badger attitude. I still can't get over Graham Mertz going 5 of 8, 52 yards. Ugh, crazy. But then let's flip it real quick on the Purdue side. I understand this is a difficult loss. You're frustrated. You really felt like this could be the year, if you're Jeff Brom, that you could have put Purdue back on the map in the Big Ten West. You're disappointed here, but you still have a very... Fun schedule here in the last little stretch. If you can even steal one of those games, you have Michigan State coming to town. Coming off that game that they played in Michigan, there is a realistic chance that Purdue can at least give Michigan State fits in that game. And if you win that, successful season on the whole. You have to be excited about the way, the direction all of a sudden Jeff Brom has this organization. I say organization like this is a freaking pro. That's what happens when you you mix up these podcasts. By the way, lots of down if you like your NFL stuff out there. But this program, he has them trending in the right direction. This was realistically the first time all year I was disappointed in a Purdue team. And it wasn't like I felt like Purdue didn't show up ready to play. I think that you got Wisconsin on probably their most focused matchup of the year so far. And I hate to say it, but Purdue's just not at a point right now. They don't have the athletes. They don't have the dudes in that locker room to face a team like Wisconsin that plays their best day and win. 
Keep the faith, Boilermaker fans. Things are trending upwards. Not to mention, college basketball is only a couple weeks away, and you know what that means. We're a very short period of time away from your eight-foot-tall goons in there ruining the lives in everybody's weekends, week in and week out in the Big Ten Conference. Before we go over to the Maryland and Minnesota game, though, I want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by TabEase.com, the best Delta-8 THC edible on the market. Sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. Not into Delta-8 THC? That's not a problem. The TabEase company also offers a CBD option with no Delta-8 THC using the same proprietary drug delivery system to guarantee a perfect dose. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors. Galactic Fruit, Watermelon, and Mint. But new flavors and products will be released monthly, so follow them on Instagram and Facebook with handle at TabEaseCo to be the first to know when these drop. That is at T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O. You can pick these up at TabEase.com with promo code BIG10. That is promo code BIG10 for 20% off your entire order with free shipping. Now, this Maryland and Minnesota game, well, you had no idea, or at least I didn't feel like I had any good idea going into it on what the, or at least what we should expect. Because I, both teams have had massively disappointing games this year, and they've also stunned us a few times and looked good enough to at least compete with almost anybody in the Big Ten. Maryland, since that Dante Demas injury, has been one of the worst, actually, in the entire league. You lost 51-14 to Iowa. And for the record, that Iowa team doesn't have an offense. I know you turn the ball over in your own side of the field quite often and that to kind of get you to that point, but that ain't good. Ohio State beat you 66-17. And now Minnesota, 34-16. And that 34-16 has that late touchdown to make it look a little closer than it was. Minnesota dominated all game. Almost 200 yards more than Maryland in this game. Rushed the ball for over 240 yards more than Maryland in this game. You know what it reminded me of? A lot like that Wisconsin attack against Purdue. In terms that they have not got Tanner Morgan this year that I think two years ago. Because if you guys remember, oh my god, 2019 Tanner Morgan was lighting the world on fire. We were all like, wow, row the boat. Minnesota really is going to be that next team. That team that can go 10-2 and in the Big Ten West potentially keep it somewhat close against the Ohio State, Penn State's, Michigan's of the world in the Big Ten East. But now, he's going 8 of 12, 125 yards, and this team is dedicated to running the ball down your throat instead. I mean, this team had 326 yards rushing on Saturday. Whew. Not good. Not good if you're Maryland. I'm not going to talk much on Maryland, by the way, because once, like I said, Dante Demas went out, This offense isn't even able to move the ball now. Now they have a bad defense to pair with a bad offense, or at least an average one. It's going to continue to get worse right now for Maryland the rest of this year, and I do feel bummed out about that after how great of a start this year was. And I really thought that they were going to beat Iowa that Friday night. And then, again, keep sound like a broken record, but the Dante Demas injury really derailed this team. But Minnesota controls their... Destiny the rest of the way in the Big Ten West as well as Wisconsin and Iowa. All three of those teams have matchups with each other. 
So whoever can win two of those obviously would make it. But if you split, that's where it becomes a little questionable. And, and luckily for Minnesota, you do host Wisconsin in the year, but you're also going to Iowa here in a few weeks. I don't think I have PJ Flex crew going to the Big Ten championship game. I don't like that passing game enough to do that. But if they are there, I wouldn't be entirely shocked. And how Big Ten West would it be that the team that struggled most all year with Miami of Ohio and Bowling Green happens to be the best team in the Big Ten West? But then our last game of the week, Ohio State, the number five ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, went to Bloomington. And if you're an Indiana fan, this had to be your worst case scenario of the season. You're now dead in the water. You lose another game. Jack Tuttle in that quarterback position continues to unimpress. Four of seven, 41 yards. He did have the one touchdown. But this Indiana offense, man, it's like we've been saying all year. It's just so bad. It can't stretch the field. You can't run the ball when there's no threat of throwing it. And I promise you, there's no threat of throwing it. This has just ultimately been the worst possible scenario of a season that Indiana could ever hope for. Two and five now, they're not going to be bowl eligible. Just get that out of your head. And just listen to a few of these stats from Saturday to let you have an idea of how one-sided this Ohio State-Indiana game was. Ohio State had over 400 yards more of total offense. To over 400 yards more of total offense. They had 352 passing yards to 80 of Indiana. They had 187 rushing yards to 48 of Indiana. 31 first downs to 10. I mean, if Ohio State didn't deliberately take their foot off the gas in the second half, they scored 10 points in the second half. That's it. They purposely tried to be respectful of Indiana and Tom Allen and this team. Had they not done that, Indiana could have lost this game by 60 points. That is a credit to how good Ohio State is. I'm going to get to them here in a second. But dude, Indiana, guys, oh, just you get so annoyed with them. Because you go into this year so fired up. And I think it also needs to be said that their start of the year was just unfathomable. In, I mean, when you look back, using hindsight 2020, they have now lost to and played five ranked teams. Their two games they played non-ranked teams, they won. That was what the challenge was for this year. For Indiana, you go into this year, you say, we belong in the Big Ten A's. We belong in that discussion for Big Ten Championship. You've got to win games against ranked opponents. You have to answer the bell. Not only do you not answer the bell, you're getting killed in these games. You lost by 24 to Penn State. You lost by 28 to Iowa. You lost by two scores to Cincinnati. Only one you kept it within one score was Michigan State at home. And we think Michigan State might be fraudulent. At least Hayden and I do. Come on. Come on, Indiana. I hate to say it, but I don't know if you have any of that saved up momentum, any of that accomplishment, any of the good that came out of that season remaining in this program. And if that's the case, aren't you kind of back to square one if you're a Hoosiers fan? I don't want to say... Tom Allen's job needs to be in jeopardy because I don't believe that yet. I think that he deserves at least another full season. At least another full season. But it's something that you have to at least wonder, hey, what's going on here? We kind of just 
fell off a cliff. Last year, we were winning games that we have never won before in this program. Being teams we've never beaten. You're getting recruits that I don't feel like you ever see Indiana get. I wish we had the recruiting guys here to tell me if I'm an idiot or not for that. I don't know. Just not very promising. Not a very good day to be a Hoosiers fan. But the Buckeyes, man, I'm excited. And I am going to probably overreact here. And I'll have the same thoughts, I promise you, come Tuesday night when we record this or Wednesday night when we record the preview show. This Ohio State team right now, I think is the second best team in the country. At least it's number 2A, 2B with Alabama. And I think that Ohio State right now, they're the kind of team that you're built to at least give Georgia fits in the college football playoff because you can score. You're going to need to have a lot of athletes to be able to put up points on Georgia. And you're going to have to have a lot of athletes on that defensive side of the ball to keep that score low. I don't like Georgia's offense much. We're getting way ahead of ourselves talking national title already because Ohio State does have a very difficult down the stretch here. You have Michigan, you have Michigan State, you have Penn State. I think you still have Purdue. You have Nebraska. There's not one of these games down the stretch that's just like a rollover and a die opponent. But if you're a Buckeye fan too, if you look at this stretch, is there a game that you feel that should be within a touchdown? I don't think so. Your offense is going to put up too many points for a lot of these teams to hang around with you. And I think that's going to start this Saturday against Penn State. Hayden said 15 points. My immediate reaction is that might be low. That might be low. Because I think just, oh God, who knows? This could change by the time we get to Wednesday when we're recording this. Thursday by the time you guys hear it. I think I'd have Ohio State winning a game against Penn State right now. Something like 41-17. to Maybe 41-24. I just don't know where the points are going to come from from Penn State if they can't run the ball. And Ohio State's pass defense, I would say, at least on the outside, is a bit of the strength right now. The way that you can really beat Ohio State is if you can establish that run early. If you can really force that the safeties to step up, get a little closer, force that linebackers to focus first on pass. That's when you see a lot of those passes over the middle, those chunk plays against the Buckeye defense. And I don't think that's going to happen for Penn State. And I think that's why you're going to see the Buckeyes win and roll over Penn State. I really want to talk about this game specifically more from a Buckeye perspective, but offensively, there's really not much to add that we've seen over the last few weeks. C.J. Stroud was clinical again. The rush game was really good. Travion Henderson, nine rushes, 81 yards, two touchdowns. Even Mayan Williams coming in later in the game, he had eight rushes, 60 yards, and a touchdown. So they were running the ball at will. Then you look at the passing options. You had pretty much everybody getting involved on Saturday. Even guys like Olave, this is how good this team is. Chris Olave was quiet. Two catches, 24 yards, and a touchdown. But you don't need him to be loud. And I don't think that he played very much, too, in the second half, just like most of the starters getting out of there. But you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, Jeremy Ruckert, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Mika Ibuka. Pray that pronunciation's right. There are players all over the field for this offense. But flipping on the defensive side of the ball, if you're a Buckeye fan, it's almost equally as encouraging. I mentioned that they only gave up like 120-something yards of offense. Let me double-check here, make sure I'm not crazy. Yeah, 128 yards. But beyond that, too, I mean, this is a defense. You got pressure on the quarterback. They had five sacks. You played discipline on third down. Only giving up five conversions on 14 attempts. Then they went 0-2 on fourth down, too. 
Defense looks so much better than they did at the start of the year. But the question for me, and this is the real question for me, are we going to see an offense that actually has the capability to push Ohio State the rest of the season? Because the first two games, realistically, looking back, were the defensive woes. Where that's where at least we, we had them. Minnesota, you give up 31 points. Oregon, you give up 35 points. Then you make that play-calling switch. Since that point in time, this is a Buckeyes defense that has given up 20 points against Tulsa. And then even since then, 17 is the most you've given up against Maryland. It seems like things are clicking. Keeping things simple was a really smart move for this Buckeyes defense. Guys, I am really, really encouraged. And I am I try to think unbiasedly as much as I can. I think most of you can notice that. But that's kind of getting hard for me because my Buckeye brain really does think that this Ohio State team is the Big Ten champion. I think that this Ohio State team is a shoe-in for the number two seed at worst in the playoff come January. I don't want to just say that they waltz through, but I don't know who's going to be the one to give them a test. I think Michigan is the only team left on this schedule that has really got the capability to push Ohio State. And a large part of that also comes into the fact is, is Michigan able to run the ball against the Buckeyes? Because if Michigan's able to run the ball against Ohio State, then Michigan's going to stay in that game for four quarters. That's the formula. That's the blueprint for Michigan to beat Ohio State. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do it when Ohio State knows that they're going to have to run the ball against them. But I'll save any more Ohio State talk for this next week because I know Hayden's going to want to do a lot of it. And I know that Casey's going to want to be here to kind of keep us reeled in here before we get too ridiculous because by myself, I'm getting ready to just proclaim Ohio State the Big Ten champs already. So that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon presented by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. We'll be back later this week to preview the upcoming Week 9 slate with both of the guys coming back. I promise you won't have to just listen to me anymore to talk more Big Ten football. But make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. Congrats to Hayden's Braves on winning the NL pennant. They'll now be facing the Astros in the World Series, so I know he's excited, probably nervous. We'll have to get his take on that. But also congrats to him on finishing another football season and starting a basketball one. We'll be looking forward to hearing how they do throughout the year. And then good luck to Casey and your boys on Friday. Hopefully Hayden and I will be able to watch you guys get that playoff W. I really appreciate you guys and all the support you're giving us. Please keep sharing and and helping us out any way you can. This is my passion, guys. This is what I want to do. I want to be in sports talk radio more than anything in the world. So anything you guys could do to push that out, it helps me too. And I desperately appreciate it. Also, thanks again to Tabbies.com. Great sponsor. Really appreciate Ty Smith getting us involved with them. Outside of that, though, guys, I don't got anything for you. You guys take care. Have a good week. We'll see you back later this week for episode 34. And as always, thank you very much for listening.